0: David is now on the run as a fugitive from Saul and in his hunger and in his confusion and in his fear he imposes on Ahimelech the priest and Achish the king of Gath with his deceit and dissimulation. Here now the reading of God's inspired inerrant and infallible word profitable for us 1st Samuel 21 starting at verse 1. Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place now therefore what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, there is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women. And David answered the priest and said unto him of a truth. Women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the show bread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And David said unto Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapon. Weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it. For there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it me. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul, and went to Achish the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart, and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them, and feigned himself mad in their hands, and scrabbled on the doors of the gate, and let spittle fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, oh, ye see the man is mad. Wherefore then have ye brought him to me? Have I need of madmen? That ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence. Shall this fellow come into my house? Thus far the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. May the Lord bless us in the reading and hearing of it. Verses 1 through 9, we have David imposing upon Ahimelech the priest to get hallowed bread and arms. Verse 1 tells us this was Ahimelech. He is also called Ahiah in chapter 14, verse 3. Often in the Old Testament, men had various names. As in our day, sometimes people will have a nickname or a middle name or a name that develops over time. He is also called Abiathar by our Lord Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 2, 26. This man had three distinct names. He was the son of Ahitub, grandson of Phinehas, great-grandson of Eli, as we read in chapter 14, verse 3, as well. His name Ahi means my brother, Melech, is king. The name Ahaya means my brother is Jehovah. In other words, I am related to Jehovah himself, who is my king. Very good name. His name Abiathar means my father is great. His son was also called Abiathar, as we will read, God willing, this evening. Verse 2, David speaking to him after Ahimelech makes him known his fear, I'm afraid of you, why are you by yourself? David lies. David said unto Ahimelech, the priest, notice God puts that in there so you see the heinousness of the sin. He says, the king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, let no man know anything of the business I've sent you on. Now, was that true? No. It is a lie. In fact, it is a lie that will cost Ahimelech and his household and his wives and his sucking children and his cattle their lives. And David will confess this, as we'll see, God willing, in chapter 22. 22. Westminster annotations say it was a great sin which David committed in telling this pernicious lie. Though his present necessity did much extenuate it, seeing hunger, as we used to say, breaketh through stone walls, and necessity hath no law, yet David did himself not so excuse it. Many people will excuse David and say, Look, it's okay. You can tell a little white lie, a little lie that helps. God doesn't approve of white lies. They're black, in his opinion. They are condemned. They are evil. David will not excuse himself for this lie. He, like a true penitent, will charge it home upon his own heart and conscience and acknowledge that he was the occasion for the death of all these 85 priests who will die. David says, That Saul told him, not only had he commanded him a business, but told him to keep it secret. A second lie to cover for the first. You know how that happens? You lie once. What do you have to do after that? You have to lie again, and then again, and then again, because you have to cover for your first lie by a second lie, by a third lie. God judges what we call pragmatism with more sins. Pragmatism is the philosophy that says, There is no principle of right or wrong that I ought to obey. There is no law. There is no moral code that God has imposed on us. All I gotta do is see what are the ends. And whatever means I use it doesn't matter as long as it's a good end. Is it good to feed hungry men? Yes. Is it good for David to have weapons to defend himself? Yes. Are the means of lying justified because the ends are good? No. God judges pragmatism with more sins. Sin is a judgment for former sins. Second lie is a judgment for the first lie. God abandons him. His conscience stops working. Let us guard our lips, lest we sin in our speech. And let us learn that we ought to repent quickly when we do sin, rather than doubling down, as they say. First sin, repent of it. Don't go on to a second one to cover for the first one. Ahimelech informs David that he does have food, but he says there is no common bread. Now, there in the Bible is a distinction that runs throughout the whole book between what is common and what is holy, what is for ordinary use, and that which is for sacred business or sacred use. In fact, God says, remember the Sabbath day to do what? Keep it holy, right? Right? That means that the Sabbath is not a common ordinary day. And those who say all of life is worship are lying to you. Not all of life is worship. There are things that are worship toward God, they are holy and sacred. Then there are things that are common and ordinary. We have those in common even with unbelievers. There are ordinary things or common things. There is bread devoted to worship, he says, And there is bread devoted to God. It is holy bread, sacred bread, versus common bread. In fact, this distinction runs even into the New Testament when we read of the Lord's Supper. That supper uniquely devoted to Jesus Christ and the memory of his dying for us, his body broken, his blood shed, so that our sins could be forgiven. That is a holy supper. That is not a common supper. That's not like we're going to have a meal later. No, that's different. It's sacred. There is no common bread, he says in verse 4, Ahimelech speaking to him, but there is hallowed bread. Kodesh is the Hebrew word. That which is sacred or holy. It's used of God himself or of his spirit. Places set apart by God's presence as the tabernacle was. As the holy place of the holy place, the little room within the tabernacle where the Ark of the Testament was, where God sat as king. These are holy things. And this bread, do you remember? Twelve loaves put out every Sabbath, and they would take the hot bread and put it out, one for each of the tribes of Israel, on a golden table. They would take away the other twelve loaves that had been there for a week, and what did they do with them? The priest ate them. It was for him and for his household. So the priest Ahimelech correctly says, this bread is hallowed. This bread you're asking for has been sanctified to the worship of God and it is set apart for the priest as part of his pay for what he does in the tabernacle. This bread we call the show bread. Exodus 25:30. In fact, The literal word is the bread of faces, because God's face, God's presence was there in the tabernacle, so the bread of the tabernacle was the face of God is where it was, holy bread. Ahimelech requires that if he is to share this bread, the young men should have kept themselves from women. Though this giving of the bread was irregular, Ahimelech recognizes, yes, I can share this bread. I can give you some, but we must have some order. There must be some decency in this. It cannot be an excuse for lasciviousness. Not that the marriage bed is defiled in some way. It is undefiled. It is not impure. But when men come into the worship of God, they're not to have their thoughts on their worldly pleasures. They're to be devoted to God. And so if we're going to give you this bread, he says, the men must have their vessels sanctified. David affirms in verse 5 that women had been kept from them for three days and that the vessels or the bodies of the young men are holy. And David further argues that the bread taken from the showbread, where you put the new bread out and you took the old bread and you have it now, this old bread is in a manner common. It's no longer the showbread. It's now been transferred from a sacramental or a holy use. Now to you, what are you going to do with it? You're going to eat it. You're going to feed yourself. You're going to feed your wife. You're going to feed your children with this bread. It is, in a manner, a common bread. This is the same word as verse four. In a certain respect, it is common, though Ahimelech says it is not common. David says, it is, in a certain respect, to be considered as such. Though once upon the table, consecrated to God and his worship, it is now available for you, the priest, and if you'd like to share it with me and my men, it is available for us as well. Now this would seem to indicate that this was the Sabbath day. And Jesus argues from this passage in the Gospels, in fact, Matthew 12, verses 3 through 8, Mark chapter 2, verses 25 and 26, Luke chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, he argues that it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day and to feed your bodies. And how does he prove it? Well, when David went into the tabernacle and he was there with the priest and all they had was hallowed bread, what did the priest say? I'm sorry, it's the Sabbath, this is sacred bread, you're going to have to starve. Is that what he said? No, he shares it with them. He gives him on the Sabbath of that bread that once was sanctified for holy use and now was available for common use. Let us learn to make wise use of the Sabbath You know satan has a temptation here's the sabbath you ought to keep it holy so why don't you go into this ditch over here and say well it's not lawful even to do good on the sabbath or he says well it is lawful to do necessary things so let's turn everything into a necessary thing well it's necessary that i have my job and therefore i have to work on the sabbath no You could do the work on another day. It doesn't have to happen on this day. You see, Satan has ditches on either side. Either be overly scrupulous or be too loose. That's what Satan wants. He doesn't want you to obey what God says. The Sabbath has always allowed for works of necessity and works of mercy. Do we care for our animals on the Sabbath? Yes, we do. Do we feed our bodies? Yes, we do. May we visit the sick? May we visit those imprisoned unjustly? Of course we can. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The bread was the showbread, verse 6 informs us. Taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. This is the rite described in Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 Through nine, the weekly Sabbath and the switching out of the showbread. It is a ruled case that in all matters of weighty concernment, ceremonials must give place to morals when they cannot both stand together. Here you have a ceremonial law this bread is hallowed, sanctified to God, the bread of the showbread, the bread of faces. Here you have a moral necessity. A man must eat. He must feed his body. God says, thou shalt not kill. That prohibits us from starving ourselves to death. We must defend our lives. We must sustain our lives. So the moral law says thou shalt not kill and the ceremonial law says this is hallowed bread. You can't eat it. What is the resolution if the two cannot stand together? Now this is different from people giving up the ceremonies that God has commanded at the drop of a hat, as if everything were necessity when it is not. Let us discern the Lord's will. Let us live under his grace and under his holy law. Now notice, David is here, but someone else is here, aren't they? Verse 7 tells us who. Detained before the Lord was Doeg the Edomite. Now we're going to find that Doeg is a flatterer, a slanderer, a murderer, a profane person. But what's he doing? He's detained before the Lord, isn't he? He's keeping the Sabbath. He's there in the holy place of God. Maybe he had a vow. What a holy man. No, what a hypocrite. Entering into God's courts... Planning to betray David when he sees him come in. Oh, this is going to be valuable information as we find in chapter 22. External acts of piety are not a mark of true religion. We must do those works of external piety. We must keep the Sabbath. But you know, hypocrites can keep the Sabbath. They can stay away from all the things that they ought not to do. They could make a list and follow it and still in their hearts be ready to murder and betray and lie and steal. Let us not play the hypocrite by merely engaging in external acts of piety. Doeg could keep the Sabbath while flattering, slandering, and murdering. And God says the two must not be set at odds the two must go together should you keep the sabbath yes should you tithe on mint and anise and rue yes you should should you keep the weightier matters of the law of course you should david says he did not bring his sword in verse 8. you know what's going to happen right he's not going to tell the truth is he i haven't brought my sword nor my weapons with me because what Because Saul chased me out of my house and I went down through a window. Is that what he says? No. He lies again. This is what lies do. When we lie, we become liars because we have to cover for the first and the second and the third and the fourth lie with a fifth lie. I didn't bring my sword. Um, The king's business required haste. No, it didn't. There was no king's business. The Westminster annotations again one lie told make us such a breach in the conscience that another following it will find an easy passage your conscience think of it like a wall like a stone wall and if you push the stones out of a stone wall your enemy gets through doesn't he and then the next comes and then the next comes and then the next comes Easy passage, lie after lie. He sees there a sword. He asks for it. And Ahimelech says it was the sword of Goliath the Philistine whom thou slewest, you, David, running. Now, Ahimelech does not mean to rebuke David. He thinks David's actually telling him the truth. We'll find this out in chapter 22. But what about David? What does he know? Well, David, at one time you had a staff in your hand. You had some stones and a slingshot. And you killed Goliath the Philistine. You took his sword out of his sheath. You chopped his head off. How? By God's power. By God's help. In the name of the Lord you slew the giant. What's he doing now? Running from whom? Saul. Saul, who was cowering at the giant, you're now running from him. It's a rebuke to his conscience. He's forgotten the glorious power of God that helped him in time past. Thou slewest him. David's unbelief is rebuked by God. Not that Ahimelech meant so, but God did. David was fearless in times past, but he has forgotten those days. He is led to lie, to commit folly, to occasion the death of the innocent. David is then given that incomparable sword. And then verses 10 through 15, David imposes on Achish. He's not done yet. God, I believe, wakes him up at the end of this chapter as we read in the Psalms, 34 and 56. But here he lies to the king of Gath. David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul, not trusting in God's promises, fearing Saul. Is it wrong to flee your adversaries? It is not. Is it wrong to fear men? Yes, it is. You may do the same action with a different attitude and it will be fine or sinful depending on your attitude. Here he flees for fear of Saul. Now please, let's think this through. David has slain Goliath, What is he carrying around when he goes to the hometown of Goliath? The very sword he drew out of Goliath's sheath and chopped his head off. You think they're not going to recognize that sword? He's gone mad. He's gone crazy. He's not possessed of his wits. Why? Why? Because he's fearing. Achish is also called Abimelech. Abimelech being the title, my father is king. The kings of the Philistines named all of their kings that. Goliath was from Gath. He possesses his sword and strolls into town. And what do you think is going to happen, David? Fear of creatures. Where does it come from? Does God give us a spirit of fear? It's from beneath. It's from human wisdom. It's from the devil. Be afraid of creatures. God says, fear me, and you need fear no man. We say, yeah, but you don't understand. You see, they're really big and scary, and Saul's hunting me down, and he's got all of his soldiers. The fear of man brings a snare. It is derived from foolishness, and it leads to insanity. Let us more and more mortify, put off, put to death, put away the fear of man. Walk in God's commandments. Trust in his promises. This is how we get rid of the fear of man. What has God promised me that he will do for me? What has God commanded me, the duty he requires? These two keep us from fearing man. If we forget his promises, we fear men. If we forget his precepts and his commandments, we fear men. God says, fear me. So we must put off the fear of man. We must do the will of God. We must trust in his promises. Notice, what do the Philistines say? Is not this David? What do they call him? The king? The king of the land? Was David king? No. Did he lead their armies into battle? Yes. Was he, you might say, the commander-in-chief of the forces of Israel? Yes. Maybe they even knew he had been anointed as king, but they think he's king. Oh, yeah. You remember that song they were playing about a year and a half ago? What was it? Saul, he slew a thousand, a couple thousand. David, tens of thousands. The Philistines knew this song. Did they not sing one to another of him in dances saying saul has slain his thousands and david his ten thousands chapter 18 verses 7 and 8 do you remember this was the occasion of saul's demonic rage and jealousy against david it flipped like a switch soon as the radio came on and he heard the song he hates david he wants him dead David then lays these words up in his heart. He remembers them, he rehearses them, he thinks and makes conclusions concerning them. And David, rather than again being pushed back to trusting in God, he says, no, I'm afraid now, not just of Saul. Who else is he afraid of? Achish, sore afraid. Meod, greatly mega afraid, out of his mind with fear. He goes down and down and down. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoso trusteth in the Lord shall be safe. David is trapped. He's snared by the fear of man. And so what does he do? He changed his behavior before them. Now when we say behavior, it often gives the connotation of how you conduct yourself, and that is proper and correct. And that even translates this word from Hebrew. But the word literally means your taste, your discernment, your power of understanding and discerning the taste of one thing from another. Do you think that black coffee tastes the same as a donut? No. How do you know the difference? Your taste. Ooh, it's a little bitter it's a bit strong kind of shocks you if you have black coffee what about a donut <clears throat> oh that tastes good think of your favorite flavor of donut oh wow that's great the taste he changed his power of discernment he changed his conduct as if he were a lunatic as if he were retarded as if he were struck with madness or epilepsy is david A retard is he a madman is he an epileptic who has seizures no he's not he feigned himself that means faking lying by actions not just with words as a rabid beast spittle coming down onto his beard is that the sort of behavior for an honorable man who is to become king over his nation It is not. He pretended to be as a wild animal with rabies. I note then that the servants of God often and sadly fall from their trust in God. Are we better than David? No, we are not. The servants of God often and sadly fall from their trust in God. We resort to all manner of foolishness. Because God chastens us. That's how he chastens us, by turning us over to our own foolishness. It's like a spanking to remind us of our evil that we've done previously, to wake us up and David will be awakened. In fact, the word his behavior, that's in Psalm 34 in the title, when David changed his behavior before Abimelech chapter 34 of the psalms verse 8 the very same psalm david says oh taste and see that the lord is good blessed is the man that trusteth in him you see the verb is the same as the noun he changed his taste now he commands us taste and see that the lord is good use your power of discernment and judgment To know the difference between the wickedness of false gods and the goodness of God. The goodness of trusting in God and the evil and the foul taste of fearing man. It's a play on words. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord, Jeremiah the prophet says in chapter 17 verse 5. We are cursed if we fear men, if we hope in man, if we make him our strength, our arm, if we fear him rather than fearing God. David, Psalm 56, verse 4, on this very occasion of his feigning madness. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear What flesh can do unto me? Not Saul, not Abimelech, not any other creature, he says. He learned this how? Because God turned him over to his folly. God turned him over to his madness. Psalm 34, also on this occasion, verses 12 and 13. What man is he that desireth life, and loveth many days, that he may see good Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Do you know what David's been doing? Guile after guile after guile after after deceit. He's learned his lesson, hasn't he? Let us learn our lesson. Let us humble ourselves from our deceits, our tricks, our masks, our lies, our reliance upon the wisdom of the flesh. Look what he does, verse 13. Scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. No sense, no reason, no composure, not the mighty warrior, not serving a mighty God, but a madman with uncontrolled stupidity. Unbelief brothers and sisters is madness lunacy god has all power he's made promises of good to us can he not fulfill those promises can he not do what he has said he will do why would we not trust him why would we not fear him and yet here's david trusting in his wits disobeying the divine law you can lie with your actions as well with your words It's called dissimulation in the Bible. Hypocrisy. It means you pretend to act a role. That's what a hypocrite is. In the ancient world, they had masks that they could put on their face when they played one role. And then they put that one behind their back and they put on a new mask to play the second role. They're called actors in our day. The Bible uses the word hypocrites. Pretend to be this. Oh, I'm in this company, now I'll pretend to be that. Oh, and this new situation arises, let me pretend to be this. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is lying by actions. This is what he's doing. Feigned himself mad. Scrabbled on the door. Spittle on his beard. Our larger catechism, question 144, asks... Concerning the duties required in the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. The answer comes back. The duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. Study and practicing of whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, and of good report. Let me ask you a question. If you pretend to be a madman, are you practicing something that is true? Not if you have the intention of deceiving the person. There's a place for comedy, of course. We all know a person doesn't mean to deceive when they make a joke. But if you have the intention of deceiving the other person by your actions or by your words, you're lying. God says that duty is ours. Consequences, who owns those? Do we? Do we control the outcomes? Do we control providence? No, we don't. We obey laws. The law says, thou shalt not bear false witness. Well, if I don't lie, bad things will happen. Guess what? David lied and lied and lied, and guess what happened? Good things? No. Bad things, as we'll see in chapter 22. Let us repent of saying that if my ends are good, the means I can use, it doesn't matter, as long as I have a good idea, a good intention. Abimelech then kicks him out you see this man is mad why did you bring him to me again don't I have enough lunatics in my court do I need one more God delivers his own people out of his great grace not because we deserve it did David deserve to be delivered through his great wisdom and deception (laughs) no you know what what he could have done What akish could have done to him string up the madman i'm tired of these lunatics he could have killed him but did god allow that did he ordain that did he decree that no he was going to deliver his servant and humble him for his deceit for his fear for his trusting in the arm of the flesh for his lips that spoke guile let us trust in god's mercy let us call upon his name And let us humble ourselves even as David did. And thus far the exposition of 1 Samuel chapter 21.